A happy New Year to you. Welcome to episode one of the Serial Talker podcast. I'm your host, Peter Von Gom. This is a brand new podcast. In fact, it is so new, it still has that new car smell. This episode is a kickoff of my New Year's resolution podcast. I did a podcast many, many years ago, which was an educational podcast in English. It was called English Ayapod. My friend Ayako was the translator, and I had conversations with friends in English. They were just completely free-form conversations, and it was a blast. And it's about time I got back into this venue of podcasts. So it's been my New Year's resolution planning out this podcast, and I decided to just do it. Just start a podcast. Rather than trying to script everything out and plan everything and have everything perfect, which I always try to do with my YouTube channel, this is going to be more freeform and talk and have a great time. We're going to have interviews with cool people. I'll be reading you true stories, including true crime, which I love. Uh, we'll talk about current topics, news of the day. I'm glad you're here. We're going to have an awesome time. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Peter Von Gom. I am a professional voice actor and narrator, and I am a city dweller living in the most awesomest city in the world, a place called Tokyo. Maybe some of you have heard of it. Japan is an absolutely amazing place to live. I've been here for more than 20 years. I have a very good knowledge of the city and of Japan, and I'm thrilled to be part of this culture. But something I'm even more thrilled about is to be done with 2020. Now, we are fresh into the new year, and we're all counting on 2021. So don't let us down. We're on our knees. We have had a very rocky start so far, but I'm so confident that it's only going to get better. How could it? No, I'm not even going to say that because it's possible I could jinx it and it will get worse. Now, besides 2020 being an absolute shizstorm, I lost my favorite guitarist of all time, Eddie Van Halen. That was a total kick in the gut. Listen to him play. He either makes you want to take up guitar or freaking give it up forever. And then Sean Connery. The list goes on and on. And then another guitar great, Leslie West of the band Mountain. You know, Mississippi Queen. You know what I mean. That is like a rock anthem. It's one of those songs that kicks your buttocks right out of the gates. You know the guitar riff, you know the melody, you know the chorus. Love that song. Loved Leslie West. Leslie, my friend, rest in peace. We never met, and you're probably a better man for it. And in my sorrow, I was looking on YouTube and watching various live performances of Mississippi Queen, and I came across this band called Joyous Wolf. They need to work on their name, but... The version of Mississippi Queen that these L.A. boys cranked out. Oh, oh my God. Awesome. Just absolutely awesome. 
that made me feel a little better. I still miss Leslie, but I'm happy to know that others love that song as well. Chadwick Boseman, The Black Panther. Dude wasn't that old. Let's scroll down this list here for a second. Because it's shocking how many people passed away in 2020. And not just from COVID. I mean, very few passed away from COVID. Dawn Wells. Hello. Mary Ann from Gilligan's Island. I loved Mary Ann. She was quiet and demure and confident and hot. A lot of Star Wars people died. Jeremy Bullock's who was Boba Fett in Star Wars Trilogy. He died. Also, the dude that played Darth Vader, he passed away. Charlie Pride, the country superstar, he died. He was 86. No, Squiggy? Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley died. David Lander. Do you remember that show? Every time he would walk through the door, it was the same thing. Hello. Wow, he was already 73. And Diego Maradona? I mean, I wasn't a big soccer fan or a big... Maradona fan, but my heart goes out to the Argentinians and my friend Alex, who was suffering this death. Alex Trebek, the Jeopardy star, after a long, courageous battle with cancer. Whitey Ford, the Yankees pitcher. Oh, do you remember that Hispanic band, Menudo? One of the singers died. No, I didn't know this. Mac Davis, the Hambone, Kalesa McMillan. She was the TLC star from that show called My 600 Pound Life, and it says her cause of death is unknown. Well, I think we can probably guess Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the Supreme Court Justice. Lou Brock, the baseball star? I think I have a couple of his cards at my mom's house. Hmm, maybe they've gone up in value. Ian Mitchell from the Bay City Rollers. S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y. Oh no! Cliff Robinson, Portland Trailblazers star back in the 90s. He was 53. Olivia de Havilland. She was 104? Jesus. Regis Philbin. Man, this list just keeps going. And I'm getting more and more heartbroken. John Travolta's wife, Kelly Preston. Charlie Daniels. The Devil Went Down to Georgia singer. That is an epic song with that fiddle. Oh, I loved Charlie Daniels back in the day. Oh, Ennio Morricone. He was the composer for The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. And Hugh Downs, the legendary broadcaster and journalist. Oh, no, I didn't know about this one either. Carl Reiner? Oh, that's too bad. Make it stop. Oh, dear. That was a sobering list of greats that passed away in 2020. Thank goodness we're in a new year. But I suspect that we will have a similar list at the end of 2021. But let's look on the bright side We've got a very promising future ahead of us. I am certain of that. We've got nowhere else to go but up. In our first true story of 2021, we have a white knuckler from inside the House chamber at the Capitol in Washington, D.C. as an angry mob was making their way into the Capitol. Congressional reporter Haley Talbot was inside when the violence and chaos started. This is her true story. We always knew Wednesday, January 6th was gonna be wild. Republicans in the House and Senate planned to object to the counting of the Electoral College vote, a process we anticipated would take more than 24 nonstop hours. I made the rounds to our various camera positions on the Hill 
and met up with Casey Hunt as she prepared for the network special and appearances on the nightly news and the other zillion demands she would have that day. Minutes before the joint session convened, I told her I was heading over to the house side to prepare for pool duty inside the chamber. When I walked into the chamber a few minutes before 2 p.m., I felt so prepared. Our team had all been reading in and studying the dynamics of the event for weeks, ever since we realized what a saga the largely procedural process was going to be. I started my pool note, intended to add color and context to everyone's reporting, and made up moments that are not captured by C-SPAN's cameras. Typically, it's a combination of who is refusing to put on their mask, who's participating in a standing ovation, which members are huddled in the back chatting, maybe even a quick reference to a member caught snoozing during the extended proceedings. Hey, from a frigid house chamber, I'm your pooler for the 2 to 4 p.m. portion of the joint session, I announced. I didn't get too much further when I began to sense something was off. There were murmurs from members on the floor as Arizona representatives who were objecting to the state's certified election win for President-elect Joe Biden, continued with their speeches. I think we were all getting texts and tweet notifications about what was transpiring on the steps just outside the building. And yet, I felt so safe. I kept thinking I was in the safest place possible. I told my bureau chief, Ken, Ken, I am not the one you need to worry about, I said, as I was scared for my colleagues in the building's offices. I am the one in the chamber. This is the safest spot in D.C. Looking back on what I had said and what transpired makes this even more shocking and unbelievable to me. I looked back on a text I sent at this point to a concerned House staffer checking in on me. Are you staying safe? He asked. Yes, thank you. I'm in chamber as pooler, so feel very safe. I hope you aren't here, I replied, totally naive as to what was going on outside the building. Thank you, I am not, thank God, he wrote. The session was interrupted and recessed for a few minutes. Shortly thereafter, in a very aggressive tone, Representative Phillips from Minnesota yelled, This is because of you! towards the Republican side of the chamber. The joint session resumed, but at this point, people were getting very agitated and nervous. It was clear parts of the complex were not safe and the mob outside was more threatening than the police had anticipated. These moments felt painfully long amid so much uncertainty. I was sure we would proceed with the floor debate and continue with the certification until an announcement came that rioters had breached the Capitol. I was texting our Capitol Hill coverage text chain every update, every small detail I noticed, I was focused on making sure our correspondents knew exactly what was happening. I broke the rules by taking photos and videos inside the chamber, but I needed to show my team what was ensuing in front of my eyes. Ken called several more times over the next 15 minutes to check as the situation all over the complex escalated. I remember being frustrated when his calls would break up and cut off the videos I was taking inside. I didn't yet understand the seriousness of this situation. That quickly changed when an announcement was made that there was tear gas in the rotunda. Grab the gas masks under your seats and be ready to put them on. That's when the panic was really palpable. Everyone was shuffling, yelling. No one knew what to do or where to go. 
There wasn't a gas mask under my seat in the gallery. I remember scanning the seats around me, but couldn't locate the large black sack I'd seen other members furiously grab and rip open. I yelled to a nearby Capitol Police officer. Nothing happened. I turned back towards the house floor, watching as members started fitting their masks on their heads. I continued to text the group what I saw. I yelled again for a gas mask, and the officer threw one down. Amidst the texting and answering calls, I didn't start putting it on until I saw everyone around me had filled their hoods with air and had their faces covered by the contraption. I was the only person on the television side of the gallery, since I was the assigned TV pooler and all of my colleagues working for print publications were nearby in their designated section. They started climbing over railings to get where I was, and we all moved down to where other members had already scurried under their chairs. We huddled as close as we could to one another. I kept thinking that even though we were all sheltering under our chairs, we weren't under any real threat. And then the glass shattered. A pane in the glass of the intricate doors to the speaker's lobby were smashed through by rioters as they tried to make it onto the house floor and attack the very center of democracy in America. I caught glimpses of the standoff below as officers barricaded the door and drew their guns to defend the dozens of people inside. I started to hear the quiet whispering of prayer. A congresswoman I often see but didn't recognize was holding the hands of other members as she crouched down and was praying over the group. I started to think about what I would use to defend our group if the mob were to smash through the third-floor glass and enter the gallery. The congresswoman next to me had a cane. That's what I'd use. I could swing a golf club. I thought about how I'd position myself to block as many people as possible. As I was filming with my phone in one hand and texting furiously with the other, I noticed a representative next to me had fallen uncomfortably. I reached down to pull her closer. The members around me were almost all women and some of the bravest people I've seen. No one panicked. We held hands. We told each other it was going to be okay. We were told the hallway was almost clear and we would be evacuating as soon as we could. Where are we going? Where are they taking us? A member asked me repeatedly. When we left the house chamber and walked onto the third floor landing, we passed by dozens of people laying face first on the ground with their hands behind their backs. Lawmakers asked police if they were protesters. They were. Members and reporters still had their gas masks on and kept them on throughout the evacuation. Members were calling their husbands, wives, sons, daughters, chiefs of staff, and parents. I'm okay, don't worry. And mommy is safe, turn off the news, filled the echoey stairwell as we made our way through the belly of the Capitol. We didn't know exactly where we were headed, and we didn't know if we would encounter more rioters along the way. We were vigilant and stayed together. I kept scanning our group, making sure all the members I was huddled with behind the chairs earlier were still with us. No one could be left behind. Members were helping reporters. Reporters were consoling members. Some were conducting interviews, but everyone was helping each other as we fled the worst of what we would hopefully ever experience in the building. 
One freshman member jokingly asked if every day in Congress is like this, and a more senior member quipped, You said you wanted a front row seat. I appreciated the levity in that moment, and remember texting our team about it so they knew the tone was lifting. I also realized that some of these people escaping alongside me had only been on the job for five days. What a welcome. When we finally made it to our secure location, members started filing through the large wooden doors of the largest hearing room I know of. When I tried to walk in, I was told, members only, by an officer guarding the entrance. I was stunned. The five other reporters with me couldn't believe it either. Where are we supposed to go? We begged. Representative Spamberger fought for us. When those doors were slammed in our faces, she told the guards we needed refuge. We needed somewhere to hide. She told them that we were in the chamber too and we had been attacked. At the same time, I was also asking Spanberger if she would please go on air to talk about what just happened. She later did and recounted the events calmly and accurately. Spanberger refused to go in the hearing room until she knew we were safe. It meant so much to me that she fought for us. As the confrontation with the guard ensued, Representative Gallego offered to take us down the hall to his office. I felt better once we were inside the congressman's office. He didn't need to help us like that, especially amid a raging pandemic that has killed hundreds of thousands. Gallego entertained us with war stories, raided the cafeteria and vending machines for us, and made us feel calm amidst the chaos that was still ensuing just outside the door. We had few resources and had left our laptops, snacks, coffees, and phone chargers behind in the chamber. For several hours, we shared a single phone charger. I joked after the fact it only worked out because we were all women. Gallego and dozens of others made it very clear there was only one option. They had to return to work. He told us they couldn't be intimidated, and he was firm in that, that the American people must know the insurrectionists did not win that day. When I finally returned to the chamber just before 9 p.m. to cover what was supposed to be the story, the counting of the Electoral College votes, I found my laptop where I'd left it in the chaos. My pool note, never sent, was still open on the screen. Where I'd pre-written a general top of the note, I started writing over it words I could barely string together in actual sentences, like chaos, confusion, and alarm. Of course, there was a lot I didn't see happening outside the Capitol on Wednesday. It was once I watched the coverage on TV, the next morning, that I understood the full picture. That was the first time I cried. The Capitol is our home. This happened in the people's house. This was an attack that not only harmed the members, staffers, and reporters, but every custodial and food service worker in that building Wednesday afternoon. People died, including a Capitol Police officer. What a dark, dark day. I know that's a heavy topic, but thank you for joining Episode 1 of the Serial Talker podcast. I'm Peter Von Gom, and this podcast was brought to you by Squarespace. Pete, uh, Pete? What? Sorry, I forgot to tell you that the sponsor didn't work out. It fell through. 
What do you mean it fell through? They didn't want to do it. <sighs> what we got left is the, uh, the coffee thing. You mean buy me a coffee? Yeah, that's the one. Okay, well, this podcast was brought to you by you. If you like these kinds of podcasts and would like to support the podcast, please feel free to buy me a cup of coffee. The details are in the description of this podcast. Thanks so much. We'll see you on the next one. Bye.